Hello, I'm Party Parslow. Welcome to episode 19 of Party in China, slash episode 4 of Party in Hong Kong. I was in Honkers to transform myself into a legal teacher, but more importantly, Hong Kong is a haven of fine food and drink. Of course, most foreigners feast on the marvellous Cantonese cuisine, but I made the most of the Western food I couldn't get in De Young. I devoured Chicago deep dish pizza, Lebanese falafels and kebabs, Greek tzatziki and moussaka, T-boned steaks, baby back ribs from a place charmingly called Fat Angelo's, and grilled sardines with warm potato salad at a Spanish place pompously named El Pomposa. All the while cheerfully suffering from what my father used to describe as alcoholic constipation. I was finding it very difficult to pass a boozer. I returned several times to the Irish pub I mentioned before when I said I was shitting shamrocks. PJ Murphy's, which was only a block from my depressing cell. There I enjoyed Guinness, uh, Guinness beef pie, Guinness, beer battered fish and chips with mushy peas, Guinness, or bangers and mash, Guinness, um... Guinness, Kilkenny, oh and Guinness, but I was particularly smitten with the HP sauce, which I hadn't tasted for years. It always reminds me of my aforementioned dad who told me it was invented by a long lost cousin, Harry Parslow, hence the initials. It wasn't until my teen years that I realised it was named after the Houses of Parliament on the label. A PJ Murphy's waitress noticed my affection and said, Oh, you really like that sauce? Yes, I replied. My compliments to the condiments. While she took a few seconds to realise that was a joke and smiled dutifully, I asked where I could buy a bottle or two and she assured me I could find it in any supermarket. But she lied. Why do women lie to me all the time? No, I'm not married. He's just a friend from work. You can find HP sauce in any local supermarket. Of course I love you. Liars! My search for the HP sauce took me to the 7-Eleven downstairs at Mirador Mansions. It was open 24-7, and later at night a mob of large African men congregated there, smoking and drinking beer from the fridge, right under the signs that said no smoking and no alcohol to be consumed on the premises. They wore brightly coloured robes with those matching flat round hats and kept up a constant patter of fast, heavily accented English amid loud bursts of laughter. As she told me she didn't have any HP sauce, the pretty young cashier indicated the Africans with a sharp thrust of her chin and rolled her eyes faster than one of those centrifuges for training astronauts. She obviously didn't appreciate their company, but... I quite liked the good-humoured civil disobedience. When Monday dawned, my Z-Visa beckoned, ignoring Sonny's complicated and contradictory printed advice on a uh, stupid route to the Chinese consulate. I simply walked down Nathan Road to the Star Ferry Terminal, which was festooned with anti-Falun Gong propaganda. In Sydney's Chinatown, Falun Gong believers protest about religious persecution constantly. And they may have a point. Wanted posters set up by something called the Hong Kong Youth Care Association 
called for the immediate arrest of the evil cult founder, Li Hongji, and featured a photo of him sitting in the lotus position with one hand in his lap facing up and the other just below his chin facing down. If he was demonstrating the size of his penis, then he's definitely in league with the devil. Crossing Victoria Harbour on the Star Ferry is a mandatory Hong Kong experience, and Wan Chai Wharf is just a few minutes stroll from the PRC consulate. More picturesque, cheaper, vastly more pleasant, and much quicker than Sunny's circuitous instructions involving two different railway lines and a hefty hike. Saving time turned out to be important. I arrived half an hour before the consulate opened, and there were already around 20 people there queuing up. By the time the door opened, there were another 50 or 60 behind me. In a rare display of efficiency, a tall Chinese man in a suit too big for him was working his way down the line, letting people know they hadn't filled out their forms correctly, or their photos were unacceptable, or that they couldn't wear their stupid-looking hats. I enjoyed his rudeness to others because for some reason he was very polite to me. He also let us know that we had to go through metal detectors and security checks, that no luggage, food or drink would be allowed inside the building, and that neither he nor the People's Republic of China would accept any responsibility for backpacks left at the front door, causing consternation for several Yanks with huge backpacks, takeaway McDonald's breakfasts and stupid-looking hats. Surprisingly, the bureaucracy wasn't too bad. Unsurprisingly, Sonny's had screwed up the paperwork, but nothing that couldn't be fixed on the spot by me signing some forms. They were in Chinese, so I couldn't read them, and no one told me what I was agreeing or swearing to. The visa officer wasn't too suspicious about why a tourist who'd just spent four months in Sichuan would want to go back there and teach. In fact, she'd never even heard of Diyan, and only vaguely knew where Chengdu was. The whole thing was over in about an hour, hour and a half, and it was too early to go to a pub, so I went to a cafe and had a late breakfast. Delicious bacon and eggs washed down with a couple of pints of Boddington Pub Ale. Breakfast of champions. It wasn't yet lunchtime when I returned to Kowloon. I'd intended a day trip to Macau, but once again had forgotten that I'd have to leave my passport at the Chinese consulate and I couldn't go to Macau without my passport. I still have a scrawled note, which appears to be something about swapping Macau for a handful of magic beans. I can only assume I wrote that much later that night. A man in the tourist bureau at the Star Ferry Wharf advised me to spend the day at Hong Kong Disneyland, but I had successfully avoided that on previous trips and didn't want to spoil my perfect record. For three days I'd been searching convenience stores and supermarkets, looking for HP sauce to no avail. Now I headed once more to PJ Murphy's, ordered a Guinness and selected a table based not on comfort or position, but on the unopened bottle of HP standing next to the salt, pepper and vinegar. When the waitress brought my shepherd's pie, I asked her for some sauce. She looked momentarily perplexed, probably remembering putting a brand new bottle on this table just before, but then smiled sweetly as she fetched me another. Yes, I confess, I stole the HP sauce. Nicking everything I could from the rooting room had started me on a downward spiral of petty larceny. This was turning into quite a kleptomaniacal trip, and a prostitutional one. After dinner and a few more pubs, I once again popped into the 7-Eleven to purchase a nightcap. 
The crowd of colourful African blokes was there again, but now there was a similar number of equally colourful, generously proportioned African ladies sitting in the gutter outside. Previously, the men had just nodded and smiled when I walked in. At this later hour, they now attempted to rent out their wives to me, competing to point out each one's attributes and extolling her expertise and uh, special talents. But if I'm going to have sex with another man's wife, I'm old-fashioned enough to not want him to know about it. On Tuesday morning, it was a quick trip to the consulate to pick up my passport, complete with the long-desired Z visa. Still keen on a sea voyage, I then went looking for the ferry to Shenzhen and couldn't find it. I knew more or less where it was, and I kept trying to head in that direction, but with the many building and demolition sites in the way, I was soon lost in a maze of plywood tunnels and temporary overpasses. Whichever route I took, I kept ending up back at Kowloon Bloody Elements. So I gave up and enjoyed a final feast of marvellous Mexican food, while seriously considering not going back at all. As an Australian, I'd been automatically granted a 90-day stay in Hong Kong. Surely I could find a local teaching job in that time. But then I'd be working illegally again and I'd only just escaped that quagmire. So I took one last long look at lovely Hong Kong and its myriad joys. Sighed. Then boarded a very pink bus which took me to the border where a lethargic guard barely glanced at me before accepting my new Z status. Quite the anticlimax after so much time and effort. Another, perhaps even pinker, bus took me back to Shenzhen Airport. A toddler was roaming the aisle, brandishing some sort of toy which repeated everything she said. Who thinks up these parent-torturing devices? But she wasn't saying anything, just screaming, Bleh! over and over. The machine would loyally repeat, Bleh! Then she'd scream it louder, or longer, or deeper, or higher. And the toy would always repeat that too. Soon stirring in me a regrettable desire to either kill the child or smash the toy, or both. As the bus was speeding down a freeway, frequently changing lanes and swerving for no real reason, it looked like she could easily be killed without any sort of intervention from me. So I tried to kill three birds with one stone, by sitting her on the seat next to me and distracting her with a game of peekaboo. <laughs> Every traveller knows starting a game with a noisy child on any form of transport is like climbing Mount Idiot without Sherpas or oxygen. But I couldn't think of another way to keep her quiet. It wasn't like I could tell her a story. However, once her laughter echoed around the bus, her mother came back to see why she wasn't yelling anymore and seemed horrified to see her daughter with me. She gave me such a filthy look and grabbed her child, then gave me an even filthier look when she had to let her go again to undo the seatbelt I'd put on her for safety. Going back to her seat, glaring at me the whole way, she made a point of plonking her daughter down in the middle of the aisle, whereupon the bus sharply braked to avoid a collision and the girl flew forward through the air, bounced off a couple of seats, then the windshield, then tumbled down into the stairwell. Her laughter was now replaced with heart-wrenching sobs. Good on you, Mum. But at least she wasn't going, boom, anymore.
Having left myself plenty of time for the ferry journey that I hadn't taken, it came as no surprise when my Air China flight to Chengdu was late and kept getting later. An airport employee told me that delays are normal as any military aircraft is granted priority over civilian planes. I don't know if that's the case, but it wasn't really a problem for me as I wasn't anxious to return to Sichuan. In fact, any anxiety I was feeling was due to my inability to find a sit-down toilet. I put my head into the gents and found only the hole-in-the-floor variety. Montezuma wanted his revenge, but his demands were not yet enough for me to consider resorting to the ignominious squat. As I left the loo, a hand grabbed my arm, and I was very surprised to see Nugget, the driver who'd picked me up in Chengdu upon my arrival three months earlier. It was, of course, not really Nugget, but a man so similar they must have fallen from the same branch of their family tree and landed on their faces. Nugget of Shenzhen led me by the elbow to a door I'd already passed twice but hadn't really noticed. The plaque above the handle read, For weak persons only. When I looked unready to admit to any such weakness, he opened the door for me, revealing a sparkling clean and spacious loo fully equipped for wheelchair-bound passengers. I was enchanted, enthralled, and thanking Neo Nugget earnestly, eagerly entered my new domain. I could have stayed in there for hours. It was easily the nicest place in the airport. But emerged happier, refreshed, and considerably lighter. Yet still faced hours of tedium waiting for my postponed plane. But not as tedious as I expected, since a wander around the few airport shops revealed that the convenience store stocked a Danish beer with a Viking on the front called Faxe. At 12% alcohol, my many hours of waiting passed extremely pleasantly and with increasing silliness. There was one huge American passenger also waiting. In his 20s, nearly 7 foot tall, probably a footballer or perhaps a pro wrestler. I found it very amusing to walk around behind him, revelling in the novelty of not being the biggest person in the place. I also have a vague memory of sinking empty beer cans into the fish tank so the little crabs at the bottom of the large aquarium would have somewhere to live. An act of kindness which resulted in a sharpish conversation with a police officer. When the flight was finally called, Karma prompted security to confiscate my bottle of stolen HP sauce. In the next episode, I'm back in Sichuan and finally legal. Yes! I make friends with a puppy. Yes! And unexpectedly crap myself in class. I'm Party Parslow. Thanks for listening to Party in China. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.